This episode is sponsored by Down to Earth Ice Teas. Our functional super teas are made from organic super herbs and adaptogens and contain no sugar, no preservatives, no food colorings, and range from only zero to 10 calories per bottle. Our beverages are USDA organic, kosher, vegan, non-GMO, and keto and paleo friendly. Finally, bottled beverages that you can truly trust. Check out drinkdowntoearth.com and use promo code PODCAST10 for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. Our guest today is Lanise Brothers. Lanise is a registered nutritional therapist and women's hormone and menstrual health coach. She works with women who struggle with sugar cravings, hormonal bloating, acne, and low energy and helps them better understand their menstrual cycles. She helps women gain control over hormonal issues, including PMS, fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, irregular and painful periods, and perimenopause. She also finished an intensive program at the College of Naturopathic Medicine in London, England, which included over 200 clinical hours of helping patients in the clinic. This episode will inspire you to better understand your hormones and menstrual health. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Lenise, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, we're super excited to be chatting with you. We've been following your work for a really long time. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your background and what ultimately inspired you to pursue the field that you're in and really help so many people with their health. So my origin story, to use superhero language. (laughs) So for a long time, I had issues with my period and my hormones. When I first got my period, I had really bad period pain and really heavy bleeding. And over the years, I had experimented with lots of different things to help try to change things. And then finally, after years of experimentation, I landed on something that seemed to work for me. And I've always been really interested in health and well-being. And I spent about 15 years working in advertising in the UK. I'm originally Canadian, but I've lived in the UK for over 20 years. And I had my son and I just thought, I can't do this. I was traveling all over the world. It was too much. That works for a lot of other people for me, but for me, I just didn't want to do it. So I started thinking, what can I do that will allow me to be here and be a more present parent? And so I'd always been really interested in health and well-being. And I thought, can I do something in this space? And so I thought, let me look into nutrition. So I retrained as a nutritionist. And then I set up my own practice specializing in women's health because they always say, write what you know. So I just decided to specialize in something that was really personal to me and I'm really passionate about. So that's where I am, how I got to where I am today. That's amazing. And I think it's so great that you decided to pursue your passion. And a lot of people talk about making a big career change and actually pursuing the thing that they really want to do. But as we all know, it's not as easy as it sounds. So I'm curious if you have any tips out there for somebody who 
feels an urge to maybe pursue their passion, but they're scared to take that risk? What I would tell someone who is interested in pursuing their passion is that first figure out if your side hustle should just stay a hobby. You don't have to monetize everything. The second thing is figure out for you what makes sense, at what point it would make sense to take that leap. So for me, I freelanced while I was studying. And that made sense to me because I still needed to bring in money. We couldn't survive on a single income. But for some other people, they might have built a nest egg. And so they can take that leap. Because I think what is missing for a lot of these from a lot of these conversations is the financial side of it, but also the amount of work that's involved. Like I'm sure you you both know you don't just make it overnight. There are very few overnight successes. You never see the late nights, the early starts, the like the tears, the tantrums. So I'd say for someone who's listening, who wants to take the next step, really have a clear view that it's going to take a lot of work and financial sacrifice. Yeah, definitely a tremendous amount of work. So you want to make sure you love what you're doing because it's next level amounts of work. Yeah. (laughs) So as you said, you focus a lot on hormonal health and we're starting to see that our hormones are connected to so many ailments or symptoms that we might be facing. So can you speak to the significant role that checking your hormones and making sure that they're in balance, why that's so important? It's important for both men and women because when we typically think about hormone health, we often just think about things like estrogen and progesterone. But the reality is that we have many different hormones that govern lots of different parts of our body. So from sleep to growth, to hunger, to reproductive health, to even like love to our oxytocin, our loving hormone, but also endorphins. You know, you get the hormone that you produce when after you exercise. So they're really important part of us, but shifting your thinking away from them controlling us to us having a greater understanding of them so that we can then balance them. So it's really important to go back to basics. This is what I always talk about. It doesn't have to be complicated. Basic. So sleep is a foundation. If you're not getting a really good night's sleep consistently, then that's going to have a knock-on effect on so many other areas of your life. So the next day, your cortisol levels will be higher. So cortisol is one of our stress hormones. It will affect your hunger hormones. It will affect your insulin levels. So insulin is another hormone that we use to metabolize food. So sugar, it'll affect your ability to think. So sleep is the foundation. And then once you're doing that, think about how well you're feeding yourself. Are you doing the basics in terms of getting your vegetables, getting your fiber, your greens, your good fats, your proteins? Are you moving your body? So doing those basic areas, even breathing, taking a deep breath, that immediately shifts some of your cortisol. All of that has a tremendous impact on our hormones because they're all linked to each other. And so if you start with one area, it will positively affect another area. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's so empowering for people to know that it's the simple changes every day that we make that can really help support our hormones and live a healthy life. Now, speaking of hormones, we see girls go on oral birth control, sometimes to prevent a menses. So we see that sometimes girls take it so that they only get their menses 
four times a month. So can this be detrimental to their future health, especially if they're considering fertility? My view when it comes to hormonal contraception is that it can play a role. It can play a really positive role if you're in a situation where you really do not want to get pregnant. But the truth is, is that girls are going on contraception very young. And in the first even five years of menstruation, your hormones are trying to find a balance. Your body's trying to figure out the best level of estrogen for you, progesterone. So it's, they're starting to ovulate and then you produce progesterone. And so it's trying to figure out the right balance of hormones. But then when you add hormonal contraception into the mix, it disrupts that process. And what I see a lot with clients is that they go on contraception from about 15 and then 10 years later, 12 years later, they want to come off of it because they've either had a kind of aha moment or they want to start trying to get pregnant and they have issues because firstly, they don't understand what menstruation and what their menstrual cycle actually looks like. And then they have other issues like a really thin womb lining or they're not ovulating effectively, so they're not producing enough progesterone. So I would say that if you are a young girl listening to this or a parent of a girl who has just started menstruating, really think carefully about whether or not you want to introduce hormonal contraceptive. There's other non-hormonal options out there that can do the job just as effectively as hormonal contraceptive because there are consequences to the body for of using hormonal contraception. Yeah, and I wish I know like in the US, many doctors don't educate their patients on that and they don't mm. ask them about I mean, yeah, you don't want to ask a 12-year-old girl are you going to want to get pregnant in the future? That might not be what she's thinking, but I think educating the girl and maybe if like her mom or her she has someone with her in the office just because you may not be seeing the same doctor in 12 years, but it's your body and you may have different goals. So I wish more people were educated on that. So I love that you're educating people through your platform. I think education is so important because it starts to break down these taboos around talking about menstruation, but also sex, because you can have age-appropriate conversations that help these girls understand what might be happening in the future for them. But also, I think it's important for your boys to have these conversations so they understand if they are with a female partner, what could be happening for them in the future. Definitely. I totally agree with you. And that's why I'm glad that I'm here on this conversation. So I'm well prepped for the future. <laughs> I mean, I feel like now there's more people that talk about having hormonal issues, specifically women. And so I'm curious why you think there's been sort of an increase in the amount of people that are facing hormonal issues. I'd say that there are a few areas that really drive all of this. So the increase in stress that we're all experiencing, I mean, if we look at we're in currently in the pandemic, I think things are much worse for you guys over there than they are in the UK. So stay safe. But there's all this, there's global stress that we're experiencing, but lots of different levels of personal stress that's going to have an impact on our hormones. Because not to go too deep into science, but if your body doesn't feel safe, your brain is going to communicate to your reproductive organs, that the reproductive function isn't a priority. So 
you're going to then have issues like longer menstrual cycles, more painful menstrual cycles, shorter menstrual cycles. So stress is a big one. Sleep is another big one. It's a foundation, as I mentioned earlier. And when we don't get enough sleep, it has knock-on effects on lots of different areas of our health. So I, what I talk, talk about a lot is the idea that we've never been so well-fed in terms of the convenience of getting food. You can literally go out your door and I'm sure there's like some sort of shop nearby where you can get something to eat. But we're also very undernourished. So that lack of nutrients is going to have an effect on our hormones because we're not necessarily getting what we need through our food in order to nourish our hormone health. So an example is magnesium. It's one of my favorite minerals. I'm a nutrition nerd, and it's important for over 600 different functions in our body. And 50% of people in the U.S. are deficient in magnesium through lots of different reasons, food processing, deficiencies in soil. And so I see the knock-on effect of this in my clients where they have painful periods, they have hormonal headaches. And a lot of this has to do with nutrient deficiencies and magnesium is a big one. And then the last area I think is driving all of this is inflammation. So chronic inflammation. And inflammation is a kind of buzzword in the health space, but it basically means that your immune system is switched on when it shouldn't be. And that can lead to a lot of issues and that can affect hormone health. Those are the four areas that I think are driving the rise in hormone issues that I see. So if a client comes to you and let's say they were on birth control for five, six years, and it's been several months and they haven't gotten their menses, where do you start? What do you look at? That's a great question. I always start with those basics, that foundation that I mentioned. How are they sleeping? How are they managing their stress? then how are they eating? So I have clients come to me and they say, oh, I eat great. And then I dig into what they're eating and they're skipping meals. They might be surviving on like a shake all morning and then not eating until 10 p.m. at night, or they're not really eating enough vegetables. So making those tweaks to the diet is really important. Then looking at nutrient status. So where can we upweight some of the nutrients that are then depleted by the birth control pill? So zinc gets depleted, magnesium, B6, B12, vitamin C, all of those nutrients, and I'm missing a few others, but all of those nutrients get depleted by the birth control pill. And if you think of like an example is zinc, zinc is really important for progesterone production testosterone production in both men and women. If you have a deficiency in that, in women, that's going to affect your ability to ovulate. So you, it's about correcting nutrient status. And then from there, looking at the basics, then I decide, okay, do we need to do some hormone testing to go a little bit deeper and look at things like how the, is the body breaking down hormones? Oh, oh, another one, this is really basic as well, is how often are they going to the bathroom? Because mm -hmm. bowel movements are really, really important for clearing the hormones that we break down in our gut and in our liver. So if someone's constipated, it can mean that they're recycling the estrogen, estrogen 
Uh, <laughs> I like the way you say it the British way. That's I fine. Do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's recycling the estrogen that our gut and our liver has broken down and it has no pathway to come out. So it goes back and then that can contribute to PMS symptoms like acne, mood swings, headaches. So you start with the foundations and then you build from there. So you're really trying to find the root cause and treat that versus just look at everybody the same, which I really like. Yeah. There's no one size fits all in what I do, but in terms of a kind of template, those are the foundations that I look at. Yeah. And I'm sure we can all be better in our basic lifestyle habits. Now you mentioned skipping meals. So I'm really curious. I like to always ask people, especially focus on women's hormones, because I think it's so specific because intermittent fasting is so common. So what do you think about that for women, either menopausal age or people who want to have children? So intermittent fasting is really interesting because it can be in a really effective way to lose weight. However, if you have a history of eating disorders or disordered eating, I would recommend avoiding intermittent fasting because the focus is really containing, condensing your eating window to a certain time period. And then you can do 12 hours eating window and then 12 hours fasting. And then gradually you're closing that eating window. But that's for someone who has a history of disordered eating or an actual eating disorder, it puts too much focus on thinking about when you're eating. So I never recommend that to any of those sorts of clients. The other one, the other area I never recommend it is someone who has something like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, because it can be really stressful for the body. So it sounds kind of intuitive because digestion is inordinately a very stressful process for the body. It's very, takes a lot of energy. But if someone who has an issue is has PCOS and they have high cortisol levels, have not eating within a certain time period can raise their cortisol, can raise their insulin and exacerbate their symptoms. The issue with intermittent fasting is that a lot of the research around it has been done on men and doesn't take into consideration these issues that women often face with their hormones and the rise and fall of our sex hormones over whatever period their menstrual cycle is. So it can be a powerful tool, but you need to make sure all of the right conditions are in place in order for to be effective. Definitely. And I think it makes sense to look at it from a hormonal point of view, because a lot of people are mainly thinking about you know, their fitness goals or aesthetic goals, and they're not thinking about this other sort of back end structure that we have within our body that needs to be taken care of as well. Yeah. Now, I am curious if you have any favorite foods or supplements that you typically recommend to best support our hormones or to best support women through their menstrual cycle or to to regulate their menstrual cycle, because as you did mention, our food doesn't have all the minerals that it does need. Yeah. So I mentioned magnesium. I'm a huge fan of magnesium, but you have to be really careful about the type of magnesium that you're using. So there are lots of different forms. The one that I typically recommend is glycinate, this glycinate, and that's a gentler form that typically will act on hormones as well as lots of different other functions in the body. You have magnesium citrate, which is also great 
if you have digestive issues. So like if you're constipated, magnesium citrate is great to take at night because it will help clear you out, but also it will help you sleep. And then you have magnesium malate. It acts more on the brain. So it's really great for anxiety. I also really like zinc as a supplement because zinc is so powerful for lots of different functions in the body. So I mentioned progesterone and testosterone, but it's also really great for our immune system. People tend to focus on vitamin C, but actually zinc is more powerful for our immune system. Other supplements I really like, vitamin D. So it's a hormone, not actually a vitamin, but in the UK, I mean, it's quite sunny here today, but it's quite not that common. So we're all taking advantage of it. But we don't get that much sun, especially from October to March. So vitamin D is a really great supplement to, I typically recommend it as a spray that you spray on the inside of your cheek and get that goes straight into the bloodstream rather than going having to be processed by the liver. And that's really helpful because vitamin D is important for our bone health, our immune health, but also for our mental health. So you see people who have seasonal affective disorder in the winter, often by boosting their vitamin D status, it can have a massive impact on their mental health. So I test vitamin D levels first, and then I love to recommend a really good vitamin D spray to correct vitamin D status. I think those are my favorite three supplements to recommend. How much zinc do you usually recommend? Usually you can get zinc in 50 milligram or 30 milligram dosage. So if you have a real issue with also with the thyroid, zinc is really powerful for thyroid health, you test it, but I would typically go in with 30 milligrams, but on an ongoing level, 50 milligrams is fine. And speaking about the thyroid too, as we know, the HPA access, if you may be having a thyroid issue, why would it be important to check your reproductive health as well? That's a great question. What I see a lot is, so women with fibroids, that's a great example of the link between the, what we call the HPTO access is that the thyroid communicates with the ovaries. And the thyroid is really powerful in terms of managing reproductive health and the menstrual cycle. And what I see a lot with women with fibroids, which are growths that are with on within or in the uterus, non-cancerous growths, is that they often have an issue with their thyroid. So there's some sort of iodine deficiency that then affects their thyroid function and you're not getting that communication to the ovaries. So checking thyroid function is actually really important. I haven't talked about it at all, but thyroid issues are becoming more and more common. So hypothyroidism and underactive thyroid, I'm seeing that more and more. One of the drivers for that is stress. Nutrient deficiencies is another one. So Oh, sorry. What was your what was your original question? <laughs> well, I was just talking to the fact that there's such a huge connection between the thyroid and reproductive health. Yes, we can see like irregular menses, for example, if someone has hypothyroidism. Yeah. So one of the key symptoms that I see for hypothyroidism is an irregular menstrual cycle or a really light menstrual cycle. So if I see that, I always check thyroid status. So check 
TSH, T4, T3. And then sometimes if there are other symptoms, I'll look into thyroid antibodies. And that'll look for the autoimmune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And speaking about fibroids, I know I was doing some research and African-American women suffer from fibroids. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like two to three times more. Yeah. So African-American women and actually women of African ancestry have a higher risk of fibroids and their symptoms tend to be more severe. So their fibroids tend to be bigger. They tend to have more of the symptoms connected with fibroids. So heavy bleeding, anemia, more pressure from the fibroids. So I, that's one of my specialist areas. And I've seen women with fibroids from as small as a cherry to as big as a watermelon. You get a huge range there. And we don't know why the fibroids start, they develop. We think that there's a genetic link and there's a whole conversation there about racial weathering Mm -hmm. and whether that is connected, but that's just a hypothesis. So racial weathering is a hypothesis that systemic racism and all of the racist incidents that people affect people, Black people, ethnic minorities on a daily basis affect, cause ongoing stress. And then that stress affects health outcomes and leads to greater risk of different health conditions. So that's just a hypothesis. There is no research around that. That's just my speculation. But we know that, for example, African-American women, Black women, they tend to spend more money on hair care, skin care. If you think about Black women, they relax their hair. We relax our hair and all those chemicals, they get absorbed. And the body treats those chemicals like synthetic estrogens. And estrogen is what causes fibroids to grow. So I think in the women's health space, fibroids, there needs to be a greater conversation about fibroids because they're actually one of the most common reproductive conditions of facing women. But I don't see that much conversation about it. It's really frustrating. And I think the more we talk about it, the more women will be able to go to their doctors and say, this is what I think could be going on for me. I agree with you. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I'm in naturopathic medical school now. And so I'll see people in the clinic. I just started a year ago and I see so many women who had a hysterectomy due to fibroids. And now we see younger women. And you said like, if it could be excess estrogen that could be causing the growth of the fibroids, I think there needs to be a bigger conversation, especially women who want to give birth in the future. I was having a conversation with this doctor who follows me on Instagram who specializes in fibroids. And he was saying that hysterectomies is one of the most common treatments for fibroids. And it's actually, he sees so many unnecessary hysterectomies because doctors aren't necessarily aware of the other treatments that can be used for fibroids. So like there's embryolizations, there's myomectomies where you don't have to remove the whole uterus because there's a myth that I've heard doctors say, well, once you get past menopause, you don't need your uterus. And that's completely untrue. I mean, I love that you're having those conversations because it's really important for this education to continue to happen. Definitely. Another one that I see often is people just get their gallbladder removed. I feel like doctors are so quick to remove that. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And then they don't have 
a follow-up conversation about the importance of bile and how can we replace the bile function. It's crazy. Definitely. And I find it really interesting that you mentioned hair care and skin care and the effect that could have on us as well. Because I think a lot of people just think about what they're consuming and they don't realize that what we actually put on our skin and on our hair also has an effect on our health. So I'd love if you could speak to that a little bit as well. So our skin is our largest organ. So whatever we put on our skin will be absorbed and then it has to be processed, broken down by the body. So that's why if you think about medication, medications that have to be absorbed by the skin are actually more powerful. So when I talked about vitamin D and spraying it on the cheek, inside the cheek as a more powerful way of getting that vitamin, that's an example of how powerful the skin is as an organ. So what I'd like to talk to my clients about is moving away gradually from products that have man-made chemicals. And I'm not against man-made chemicals because there's some great products out there, but if you have a hormone imbalance, so if you have something like fibroids or endometriosis, you need to think about what you're putting on your body because that will affect the load that the liver needs to process. So it's your skincare, it's your hair care, your makeup. It's also what you wash your clothes in. Are you using room fresheners? It's what you're cleaning your house in. Because we talked about things going on the body, but it's also what you're breathing in. So if you're using things like Febreze, you're breathing that in. That needs to be broken down by the body. So people tend to downplay the the effectiveness of natural or organic products, but there's been a lot of innovation in this space. And what you can get now is very different to what you could get, say, 10 years ago. Definitely. I totally agree. There are so many options now and a lot of accessible options as well, which is great. So there really isn't a reason to put things on you that contain all these toxins now because we have such a great supply of different things that we could use that are natural. Yeah. Also, if you're thinking about the cost of these products, because some of them can be really expensive, there's a lot of ways to make these things for free. So you can make a really powerful cleaning spray from just lemon and vinegar. You can get shea butter or cocoa butter and make a really great moisturizer for not a lot of money. So if you want to go buy these products and you have the budget and that works for you, great. But if you're thinking more about your budget, there's a lot of really cost-effective ways of making your own product. I love that you mentioned that because I think that makes that accessible to so many more people because we do see Mm. that sometimes more natural or organic options are more expensive, which I think they are going down in price. But I like that you mentioned that you can make it at home. Yeah. Now, something you spoke about earlier was PMS. And I know that you talk about, and I don't think enough people talk about this, to be honest, is all the different types of PMS. Because usually we'll see someone say, oh, I have PMS. I just take an ibuprofen for a few days. But I know that you talk more about the different types and how to get to the root cause. So there are five different types of PMS. So there's anxiety, depression, what's called hyperhydration, but what we would typically call bloating. There's also pain and cravings. And so each one of those has a different root cause. And if you have PMS, you can experience one of those or you could experience a combination. But if you have something like cravings, cravings are a sign that you're deficient in some nutrient. 
And the one that I talk about a lot, and you're going to laugh when I go into it, is chocolate. A lot of women, they say that they crave chocolate right before their period or during their period. A mineral that chocolate is high in? Magnesium. (laughs) Everyone's going to go out and buy magnesium as soon as this episode goes live. (laughs) And so if you think about, if you, cravings are really interesting because if you start to track your cravings and when they happen, you can then dig into, well, actually, what is my body telling me? What does my body actually need? Another one is pain. So pain, a lot of women, they get pain like cramps or even more severe pain right before their period. Pain is a sign that your body is producing too many of a specific type of prostaglandins and prostaglandins are a sign of chronic inflammation. So we talk about root cause, what the root cause there is inflammation. So if you get into, okay, well, how can I reduce this chronic inflammation and add in different anti-inflammatory foods, you can then then see the effects of the pain that you might be experiencing right before your period or during your period. So I think PMS is really interesting because we get this cultural programming that we're supposed to feel like this right before period we're supposed to be really moody we're just supposed to be in this bad place but it is not true we don't have to feel this way and then also i wanted to talk about you spoke about pcos a little bit but estrogen dominance is so prevalent right now we see endometriosis you mentioned fibroids pcos so where do you start there there are four different types of pcos and pcos is actually really commonly misdiagnosed. So because what a lot of doctors think is that if you have cysts on the ovaries, then you have PCOS. The truth is, is that you could have cysts in your ovaries, but they could just be follicles that are in different stages of development. So if you have ovaries, you're born with all of the different follicles that you'll ever have. But every cycle, those follicles will be in different stages of development towards becoming a mature egg. And so you could have, you have an ultrasound and you could see lots of different follicles at different stages of development to becoming a mature egg. But if you have someone, a sonographer who doesn't have the experience, they could look at that and say, oh, that might be PCOS. So then you need to dig deeper into the clinical science and the blood work to see if that's actually PCOS. So you look at different hormones, like you need to look at what's going on with the androgens. So the male hormones, look at blood sugar levels. So HbA1c, glucose, you need to look at obviously sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, and really get a good picture of what's going on for that person. Because it's not as simple as saying, oh, you have PCOS because you have cysts on your ovaries. Mm -hmm. And that PCOS, it presents differently depending on the individual. So you have some people who have taken the pill and they have PCOS as a result of taking the pill. Then you have people who have PCOS and they have high androgen PCOS. So they have dark hair on the face, the chest, the abdomen. Other people who have PCOS who it's more about blood sugar dysregulation. So 
it really takes a, a skilled practitioner to be able to dig into it and really figure out, is this actually PCOS or is it something like if they have, say, irregular periods or missing periods, which is a simple symptom of PCOS, is it actually hypothalamic amenorrhea? So PCOS is super interesting, at least it is to me, mm-hmm. but it's not just a case of it's PCOS. You need to dig in and really figure it out. Definitely. And also something to mention is that usually people are taught that PCOS women have a certain stature or look a certain way, maybe like slightly overweight, but that's not always the case. So I think it's really important to kind of not just look at what a typical picture would look like, because that's not always the case for sure. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. You have cases of what we call lean PCOS, where someone is quote unquote healthy because they're slim, but they actually have PCOS. And sometimes that can be harder to treat because it's often misdiagnosed because they're not overweight or they're not, they don't have of the, uh, the other kind of more typical symptoms, as you mentioned. Now, something that I feel like came up a few times in our conversation is stress. And obviously, the pandemic has been stressful, but society in general, as we've become more modern, has become very stressful. And I know that you're also a certified yoga instructor, and we both love yoga. Obviously, yoga has become a very trendy practice over the last few years, but a lot of people just approach yoga as an exercise, and they might not know the deeper meaning and benefits that it could have on, let's say, your mind-body connection and all these different things. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your experience with yoga, why you think it could be so beneficial for our hormonal health and just our overall health. I love that you asked that question because yoga, when we think about it, when most people talk about yoga, they talk about asana, which is a physical practice. But there are lots of different parts of yoga. And when you start to bring in those other elements of yoga, you actually see a lot of long-term changes in yourself and your view of the world. So breathing is so pranayama is another part of yoga. And I actually, when I think about my own practice, breathing is actually more powerful for me than the physical practice. and. I like to think of it's really changed the way that I operate in the world because I used to have a lot of anxiety and it used to be quite crippling. And I'm not just saying that breathing is the only thing I've done. I've done a lot of other things, but it's a tool that I can use anytime, anywhere, and it can change my state in just in an instance. So that act of taking a deep breath in and even just sighing it out can really shift your nervous system and take down your cortisol levels quite quickly. And so the effect on that is it has a cascading effect on hormonal health, as we've talked about earlier in the podcast, the effect of cortisol on our system. So breathing and the physical practice, those are just two parts of yoga. But then you get into the more philosophical side of yoga, which is also really important. So non-attachment. I think that's really important because you mentioned we're becoming more modern. You know, technology is really ruling our lives in a lot of different ways. And you can get into thinking about Instagram. You can get into this kind of scroll hole where you start to attach value to different things and different aesthetics that you see. And it takes you out of yourself. It takes you out of your body. 
you start to attach yourself to different outcomes that might actually make sense for you. So those are just three different areas, but diving into yoga and really looking beyond just the physical practice is so, it can be really life-changing. I'm really glad that you mentioned breathing because, you know, a lot of people are like, I breathe all day. Obviously, you know, as living beings, we constantly are breathing, but we're not really taking mindful deep breaths. And that's why Mm. I love to do breathwork exercises every day because it really does give you energy and you're like, wow, this is like what breathing truly is. And people always laugh when I say that because they're like, you're sitting down and you're breathing. I mean, you know, (laughs) that's just the way that we live, but it really is important to actually take full deep breaths. I totally agree. This shift where I see a lot of people breathing from their chest and then you go and you start to breathe from your belly and you really engage the diaphragm, it can be really powerful. And we talked about a lot about stress and a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll just do go to the gym in the morning or I'll do a class in the, in the evening and that will deal with my stress. But what I'd like to talk about with my clients is taking these moments throughout the day. And taking a a pause to just take a deep breath can be really, really powerful. So let's say you're working in an office and you go to the bathroom, take a moment in the bathroom to just take a deep breath and you could just sigh it out without fear of embarrassment. It can really make a big shift because you start to then notice what else is happening in your body. You notice your jaw, your tongue, you start to unclench your hands, your shoulders come away from your ears. And it can be such a game changer. Even listening to you talk about it with such passion, I feel like I'm so relaxed, like my shoulders just dropped. Um, So I can definitely tell the passion there. Now you spoke about other forms of exercise, like people say, oh, I'll go to the gym, I'll take a class. And we do see that sometimes like very strenuous exercises could have possibly a negative impact on our hormones, specifically females. So what do you think about that? Or is it case by case? It is definitely case by case. So with specific conditions, you need to think about like PCOS, for example, you need to think about the type of exercise that you're doing. Because if you're doing HIIT classes all the time, those are actually quite stressful for the body, put you in a state of inflammation, chronic inflammation, you're producing more cortisol, And that will have a negative effect on your blood sugar levels. But just thinking about it in general, what I love to talk about is exercising based on your energy levels and where you are in your menstrual cycle. So there'll be rises and falls in your energy as you go throughout your cycle. And if you tie in the type of exercise that you do to where you are, you will see the benefits in your menstrual and hormone health we tend to think we need to just push through. But if you listen to your body, your body could be saying to you, actually, I don't want to do this spin class today. It would be better for me to just do a yoga class or a light stretching class or go for a walk. So this is comes back to the idea of tuning into what's right for you rather than living based on this schedule or what's popular at the moment. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that. I remember I read a book a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was by, but she was the first person I heard talk about that where at certain points in our menstrual cycle, they even found that women who did really strenuous exercise actually held on to weight, whether that be water or due to the cortisol. So women are fascinating creatures. So I think just like you said, listening to your body can give you a lot of really great cues. Yeah, absolutely. I think just to talk a little bit more about that, 
So in the first half of your menstrual cycle, after you finish your period, your estrogen levels are rising, but also your testosterone levels are rising. Not to the same level as a man, but it's an opportunity to put on more muscle if that's one of your goals. And you can lift heavier weights in the gym. Whereas after you ovulate, you have another, a second smaller spike of estrogen. You also produce progesterone. So that's an opportunity to produce. You still have more energy, but you can do more cardiovascular exercise at that point in your cycle. Good stuff to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, in addition to your expertise in hormone health and overall health and wellness, it does seem like you just have a really great outlook on life. So I'm curious to get to know a little bit more about your mindset. If you could go back and give your 20-year-old self any advice, whether it be professional, personal, just any sort of advice, what would that be and why? I always ask these questions on my podcast, but then the tables are turned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would say enjoy the journey. Don't feel like you need to get there so quickly. And I think as an entrepreneur, you're working, 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 and you just want to get there. But you forget that there are lots of lessons to be learned on the way. And there are a ton of things that I've learned in my time as a nutritionist with my own business that I wouldn't have learned if I hadn't have gone through the process. I'm definitely not someone that has to learn things the hard way, but I do learn a lot as I go through the process. So I would say to my 20-year-old self, it's okay. Be in the moment. Enjoy where you are right now. I think, what was I doing when I was 20? I was actually teaching English in Japan. Wow. So yeah, enjoy it. Like I would say, enjoy it. Stop look thinking about the future and just be in the moment and enjoy what's happening to you right now. Yeah. And that's very important advice, especially in today's day and age where so many people are detached from the process because they're just like on their phones or on their computer. So it is really important to be mindful and enjoy the process. Yeah. Now, if you could have tea with anyone dead or alive, who would that be and why? And we know that tea is oh. very big in England and we love tea as well. So... <laughs> I don't actually like tea. I like English tea. I like herbal teas. That's yes. my big one. Who would I have tea with, dead or alive? That's such a hard one. Obvious answer is someone like Oprah, but there's probably a more interesting answer there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually, I was involved in this project last October Black History Month is in October in the UK. And I was involved with this podcast series. And the person I chose is actually Billie Holiday, mm -hmm. the jazz singer. And I've always loved her music, but I researched her a bit more in order to be able to have a great conversation about her. And she lived such an interesting life. And even though there was a lot of tragedy, she played by her own rules. And so I actually love to meet her and have tea with her and just find out more about what she was thinking and her kind of non-conventional life. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Now you have to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we inspired you to make that, that date happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now for anyone out there who's listening that wants to learn more about your work, potentially work with you and just find out more about your expertise, where are the best places to reach you at? My website is www.eatlovemove.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at eatlovemove. 
and then it's on Facebook. It's at eLoveMoveNutrition.com or eLoveMoveNutrition. Awesome. I love that name and that domain. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought it was easy to remember. It is. Definitely. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We both really enjoyed chatting with you and learned a lot of useful information about our hormones. Definitely some things that we're going to start to think more about because I think we could all think more about our hormones and get more testing done and see how everything's functioning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode with Lenise Brothers. We spoke about such important topics like PMS, fibroids, PCOS, heavy periods, missing periods, and menopause. I encourage you to ask your doctors questions about your current health and your future health as well, which is really important, which we sometimes fail to think about in the present moment. You can contact us with any questions at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch on Instagram at drinkdte. As always, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.